Welcome to the Weekly Deep Dive Podcast on the Add-On Education Network, the podcast where we take a look at the weekly Come Follow Me discussions and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I am your host, Jason Lloyd, here in the studio with our friend and the show's producer, Nate Pfeiffer. What's up? <laughs> it's, it's so good to be back in the studio, Nate. You know it is. It's uh, it's always a good night when we get to record these and talk about the, the Old Testament scriptures in general. Yep. It's been a good time. We're, I can't believe we're getting right to the end of the Old Testament. This is our last Old Testament lesson, which is a little sad. Crazy. But I cannot wait for the New Testament. I'm going to have to agree with you there, my friend. That it'll be new territory, some, some fun things to hash, and I, you can't go wrong when Christ himself is mortally, physically alive and present. I love the New Testament. Yeah, I know you've been really looking forward I to this. I have been. I have been. I might I might break out my uh, Jesus the Christ and just keep cruising through that each week as we're going along with stuff just to... That's a good idea. Just to remember how many just amazing insights there are in that book and Talmadge, I mean, just the depth of his perspective on the New Testament was incredible. Yeah, I have a deep respect for for Talmadge. Me too, one of my faves. Well, tonight, I I have to say, I wish every lesson this week, this this week, every lesson this year was about the same amount of content as what we're covering tonight with Malachi. It's one book, it's four chapters long, then it's something that you can easily read a few times in the week and, and digest and look over it. It feels like most of the Old Testament has, has had to be compressed, condensed into trying to get through a lot and very little. Uh, this is more of a, for me, a comfortable pace to kind of look at it, talk through it, and just, just kind of have fun. And not feel like we're just leaving a ton on the table. Yes, yes. It, I have noticed that, especially early on in the year, it was a lot easier to do this, right? Where it's like we didn't have to tackle so many chapters. Mm-hmm. And so we could really just get into it. And then as it got more and more towards the end of the year, it was just like cramming in book after book per week. And you're just like, oh man, it's like we got to kind of choose, you know, three things or whatever to cover. It was, it was intense, but I am, I'm happy that to finish this off, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament is is Malachi, so I'm, I'm glad we get some time to dig into it a little bit. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts tonight. <laughs> oh, and I got thoughts. <laughs> that's what makes me happy. And uh, I still, I'm going to float this out there, I still want to come back at some point in time and do a bonus episode on Zechariah. That's, that's one book I just don't feel like I was able to give it a good, decent treatment. I'd like to come back someday in the future and put together a bonus episode for you guys. So if any of you are sad that we're leaving the Old Testament behind. Maybe one day next year, all of a sudden, we'll have a little flavor of Old Testament mixed in or something. No promises, but that's one book I want to get back into. I mean, I, I will I will record it for you. <laughs> Thanks, Nate. Thanks for your support. You betcha, baby. <laughs> all right, so let's, uh, let's dive into Malachi. Um... Malachi is kind of cool because it's one prophet. We don't even know what his name is. I'm going to throw that out there. Whoa, I, it's not Malachi? Yeah, that's uh, that's where I'm going to pull the rug out from under most of you oh, guys, man, I think. okay. Um, Malachi is Hebrew for my messenger. Mm. 
And so when he says, I will send my messenger, literally he's saying, I will send Malachi. And do you translate it? Is it his name or is he the messenger of the Lord or is he both? So you look at the preface on this, uh, verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. It doesn't say son of who from this land or whatever. It just says, this is the burden of the word of the Lord to my servant or to my messenger. Sorry, I got to make sure I say that right. Uh, The word Hebrew here, malach, is to send. And in this case, it is the same word translated as angel. So my messenger, my angel, uh, the, the person I am sending. And so you can see where this could be a very vague, this is my messenger speaking to you, or it literally could be his name, Malachi, for, for what it's worth. Okay. Well, you pulled the rug already out from underneath me. Now I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and because we don't have any context of who, like what time he's speaking of, it doesn't mention any kings, uh, but they do give us some, some clues historically because they mention uh, when you bring an offering to the governor, and so if we're talking about Israel pre-Babylon, it's not typical that you're you're doing this for the governor. The, the main authority in the land is going to be the king. And so Malachi most, most likely lived after the destruction of Babylon when the Jews have returned. But he's also a prophet that we can't nail down exactly when he was. But there, there are some clues when they start talking about the priesthood and offering uh, offerings on the altar, that's suggesting that the temple has been rebuilt. And if that's the case, then he's after Haggai. He's, he's after these, these prophets after Babylon has fallen and, and Jerusalem is starting to get restored and after the temple has been built. So he, he probably is the last prophet we have before we head into the New Testament. Cool. And there's about... Oh, there's about 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament that don't get covered, that kind of settle in darkness and we don't know what's happening. Uh, we do from history's perspective, and, and we, can, we can fill you in on that blank, but I think the more appropriate time for that is probably when we start the New Testament, going our first lesson in January. We'll just catch you up to speed with what happened from the time Malachi finished to the time we're talking about the, the context of this new world under the power of Rome. So getting into Malachi specifically, there's a few things I wanted to touch on in verse one or chapter one, and this is extremely similar to what we saw with Haggai the prophet. And and to me, that's sad because Haggai, you, you remember in chapter one, those first seven verses or so, he's criticizing them for putting themselves first and not caring to put the Lord first. You know, you've, you've established yourselves in your houses, you've got ceilings on your houses, and you keep saying, we're not ready, we're not stable enough to build a house of the Lord. This, this message from Malachi is the exact same message, but well after the temple's been built. And, and I think that's critical. The, the thing that this is a message that's repeated over and over and over again with Israel makes me have to wonder, does this apply to us today? If this is something people easily fall into the trap of, how do we apply that today? So let's, let's look at a few verses to see what we're talking about. Uh, verse, uh, let's just say, I, verse 2 we'll start. 
I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet you say, wherein have you loved us? And the Lord's saying, I loved you. And and he says, you, you ask, how do I love you? And he gives the example of Esau, Jacob's brother. And, and they've been destroyed and they've tried to rebuild and they haven't been near nearly as successful. And and the reason why this example becomes pertinent here at the beginning, this is something we've talked about. I don't want to spend too much time talking about it here. But Israel has been destroyed by the Babylonians. They, they were nearly destroyed and extinguished by the Assyrians. And they just look at European history all the way to modern history. No other nation has been able to bounce back and rebuild like like Judah, like Israel, like the Lord's people. And the Lord is making an example of that when he says, I have loved you. And, and they can say how, it, going back to, to, like you say, Nate, and Fiddler on the Roof, you know, maybe you could love someone else for a little bit. But as much as they've been through it, God has always turned back to his people and help them and establish them. And that's the point that he's drawing here in these first few verses. And and I, it sounds harsh when he says, I hated Esau and I didn't treat him as well as I treated you. I don't think that's fair to say, and I don't think that's quite what the Lord's saying, but the Lord is saying, you have been my people and I have restored you every time when you've leaned on me. When other nations lean on themselves, it doesn't go as well. Uh, let's go, all right, let's get to this, um, this point here. Uh, verse five. Six, a son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you. So he just finished saying, I loved you. I was like a father to you. I took care of you. When your enemies destroyed you, I built you back up. If I'm your father, or I am your Lord and master, how come you don't treat me like a lord and a master? How come you don't treat me like a father? Where's the respect and the reverence that you should be showing me? Verse 7. Um, and in fact, I'll even, at the very end of verse 6. O priests that despise my name, and you say, wherein have we despised thy name? So he's calling them out and says, you hated me, my name. And they said, How? So here he goes, verse 7. You offered polluted bread upon mine altar, and you say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, and the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor, and, and will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And... Just to break this up a little bit, you can almost see where they're coming from and and the the idea that if you're offering an offering to the Lord on the altar and you're going to burn it to the Lord and it's going to be as a sweet savor unto him as the smoke rises up into heaven, and if, if you're looking at that and saying, what should I offer the Lord? What should I bring to him? If I've got a loaf of bread here, Maybe I like all of the pieces of the bread that's in the middle, and, and I'm not a huge fan of the crust. And since it's just going to get burned on an altar, maybe I should just give the crust to God. And, and then it's just going to get burned anyway. It's not like he's eating it. It's not like he cares. I'll just give him the crust, and then I'll keep the good part. And that's what the Lord's saying is, you're serving me what you don't want, what you don't care. It's like you're offering me old and moldy bread or milk that's gone sour, because you, it's not fit for your consumption anymore. It's not something that you want to consume or drink, and you're giving me the scraps, 
the leftovers. And he says, go ahead and try that with your governor and see how well that goes. If you bring a present to, to the ruler of the land and you're giving him broken goods and, and things that you just want to throw away, how is he going to receive it? It's dishonorable. You, you can't even bring yourself to do something like that without worried that he's being worried that he's going to get mad at you. Apply this to us. Yeah, it's a, it's a, there's a couple different ways that you can apply this. I mean, very literally, sometimes what we try to donate to other people to help out is, is we go to the closet and maybe find clothes that we don't wear anymore that are worn out, that, that you know, maybe shoes that are a year old. How often are we actually going to the store buying new things and donating them to other people instead of just giving them what we don't need anymore, leftovers, right? So in a very literal sense, you can see that. But oh, how go about, ahead. How about in a spiritual sense? Okay, I I want to take this because this is the same lesson we learned with Cain and Abel. Can can we go down that road? I, this is where I want to go down this road. Because what did Abel offer God? It was it was his the firstborn of his flocks. And, and if you look at your flocks and they all have a child, how long is it going to be before your flocks have that second generation, right? And if you're taking and sacrificing all of the firstborn, there's no guarantee that you're going to have the secondborn. You're putting, you're, you're putting faith in the, in the it equation. It requires significant amount of faith. And it reminds me of, you know, the Indiana Jones when he's got the leap of faith and he has to step off the ledge. Yes. And, and, and that's, what, that's what Abel's offer was. Now take that to Cain, and he offers the fruit of the ground. And you can, you can look at the fruit of the ground. You can translate this one of two ways. One is the ground is bringing up fruit, so gourds, vines, trees, whatever you're planting, and he's offering that. But I look at this, and I see this differently. The fruit of the ground is being the fruit that has been cast to the ground. Sure, it's falling off the tree, or it's, kind of, it's the apples on my back apple tree that fall on the yard, and you can't eat them anymore. And what are the fruit that fall on the ground? Is it the first fruit? Well, depends on if you're really good at harvesting it, and we are not. So in some cases for us, yes, but I do know what you're saying. No, you usually go and harvest the first fruit so that you can eat it. Yes, the, 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 the fruit of the ground is going to be that which is last. After you've taken care of yourself, after you've harvested whatever looks good, and you've made sure that you're taken care of. And so the fruit that's fallen on the ground has fallen on the ground because it's overripe. It's not good anymore. Uh, usually it's it's infested with worms. It, it gets a little bit heavy. And it falls on the ground. It's bruised. And once it's on the ground, it's even grosser. Yes. I can tell you, just go walk through my backyard when the apples come in. <laughs> Thank goodness for the deer in the wintertime that come oh and my goodness. clean or, up our yards. Or some kids that need some chores every <laughs> once in a while and just cry the whole time I'm making them pick up rotten apples. But yes, I understand the point. Okay, so now now I want I still want this to go a step further then. Okay. How does this apply to me and you? I think in our day-to-day, when we're looking at what it is that we need to give to the Lord, do we wait until we've taken care of everything else first? Is my job so important? I got to make sure I get up and I take care of that and, and my family that I'm running them around and I'm taking care of everything I need to and, and I'm taking care of my yard and I'm taking care of my house and I'm just going to keep putting the Lord off until I have time. 
And then let me ask this question, when will I have time for the Lord? Because I, I fill that time every available minute up with whatever I need to do or even want to do. If I'm, I pull away and go read a book or, or go play a game or, or go hang out or whatever the case may or, be. Or in case I feel like mine to survive. Like I fill up every waking minute with either like feeding children or working to pay for the food for the children. Yes. Which, by the way, relates back to the Cain and Abel thing exactly, right? Like, do, do, do I, am I exercising enough faith to go, I'll still be able to pay the bills even if I am dedicating the first fruits of my time to what they're supposed to be? And, and it takes us back to the same exact thing that Haggai was hitting him over the head with. Like, how, how is it that you can take care of yourself and not worry about the Lord? And, and it's easy for us to look at this in so many different applications. Like, I, I, I don't want to get married and settle down until I make sure I've got the career, the finances, the ability to raise a family. I'm not going to have kids until I can make sure that this is safe and I can take care of everything. And if we keep putting ourselves, and it's not to say that what we're putting first is bad. I, I'm, yes, I finish your thought because that's where I want to take it from. It, yeah, we're we're being productive, like taking the fruit off of the tree to feed ourselves and to feed our families is critical. But where's the faith if we're taking all of that first to provide for ourselves and if there's anything left over giving that to the Lord? Love it. I have a, a this this I have a little bit of a different take on this, not not in opposition, but just a different kind I love of take it. Let's on hear this. It. Um, you brought this up really well, even when you used kind of the analogy of like, I really like the, I really like the middle of the loaf and I don't really like the ends of the loaf. And because it's not going to be eaten anyways, I might as well sacrifice that. It's, it's like the easier convenient thing to sacrifice. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's still bread. You know what I mean? It's still a sacrifice, but it's funny. Cause like when I was reading this, I, I feel like, uh, I was being rebuked in a, in a sort of a way in a couple different ways but but one way was that i feel like what are what are we asked to sacrifice our time yeah and talents yes but for me like our sins and and the things that we naturally the natural man would want to do and instead we're supposed to put all of those things on the altar and go i'm going to put my will aside and i'm going to do what you ask me to do right and for me, this this kind of unfortunately for me, like just hit me, which is just like, I feel like sometimes I let myself think that it's okay for me to sacrifice the convenient things, right? Mm -hmm. Like, dude, I don't drink, I don't smoke, right? I don't, I don't do those things, and I will admit that it is sometimes easy to go like, oh, I must be doing pretty good, right? Because I'm, you're I'm giving all of those things That's on the table. I'm, I'm putting all those things on the altar, right? I'm putting all the things on the altar that maybe I, my friends do, or you know what I mean, whatever. And you know, and then I go, mm, "What do I listen to? And what do I watch?" And I'm like, "Oh man, but I like those things." <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And I I look at it, and and I will admit that I was just like, as I, even today, as I was kind of just cruising through it again, I kind of had to chuckle a little bit to myself and be like, okay, message received, you know? And 
And as I read these things in these chapters specifically, you know, we are, because, you know, remember tithing comes right after this, right, in Malachi. And so, I, again, I think that your your take on this is spot on, and I totally agree with you, especially as it starts to relate to tithes and offerings, right? Yes. I just think that there's more than, I just think that there's more being said here than um, the money that we pay or the physical things that we donate. And I think that if... You know, if I might throw that out there, at least it's something and maybe maybe this is just me being spoken to in this way, but it was a good chance to once again go, but what are the thing what are the sins that you really like? You know? What are the things that you're holding on to? Why aren't you willing to put those on the altar? Like what is it that's keeping you from putting those on the altar? Like, yeah, I do appreciate you not partying on the weekend with your friends, but but you got that. What are we doing here? You know, I don't know. Is that way too much of a reach? Oh, that's fantastic. I, I love that you're saying that. I I don't I don't know if I love that I'm saying that, but <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's it's. Oh my goodness! The thing is, is like, hopefully, hopefully, as always, and again, like we're going to talk about this later in the chapter. This is why I actually. And, and I want to tie this into later when we do talk about the refiner's fire, right? Because in the refining process, it's not it's not a painless process. So even though I was, even though I kind of had to have a pretty honest self-reflection as I was reading this early on, the redemption, the redemption for me came as I was reading later on in, in chapter three. So let's let's keep moving. Well, and, and if you don't mind... Me, me, maybe just tagging a little bit on please, with your thoughts. Please, that's why that's why we're talking about it. For me, with with our family going to church and and sitting through sacrament meeting, and and you know it's it's not always easy when you've got six kids. Kids for sure. Yeah, and 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 you try to get them to focus, and 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 it's, sometimes it's not very easy when. Let's put kids aside. Sometimes, as an adult, it's sometimes hard. it's not very easy to be engaged. Completely agree. And listening, and, and, and sometimes Even when I, the talks are amazing, you know, yes. what I mean, it's just like we, it's it's a for some reason we keep our church building so hot, and I wish for the love we could figure out how to not do that. But but also when you know when you and I we've got dude we think through things right, and sometimes when you get a lot going on in your head, it's incredibly easy to be distracted. Yes. Yes, and and what what really hit me, I don't know, a year or two ago, actually reading through the New Testament when um, when when Christ goes to Gethsemane, and and he's praying, and he comes back to his disciples, and they've all fallen asleep, and he's like, "Could you not wait with me for one hour?" And and thinking again, the, the length of a sacrament meeting, and and the whole purpose of that meeting, by the way, is. The, the sacrament prayer, the, the the covenant, the ordinance that's very similar to him going and having an intercessory prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is the focus. He's the focus of the meeting. And I sit there and I wonder, am I falling asleep through that hour like these apostles were? When I start to wander in my attention or, or when I start to to not focus or or if i if i don't help my kids understand the importance of maybe putting aside our own thoughts our own desires our own distractions 
to focus on what the Lord wants us to focus for. Going back to what you were saying, you know, sometimes that bread in the middle, sometimes we have a hard time just giving up some of those I don't know. You said it so well, and I don't want to take no, away from that. No, I don't think that. it's taken away from it. And the thing is, it's like, it's it's such a natural thing, though. It's a human thing, you know? We have kids, and you see it all the time, where it's like, you're like, hey, share your burrito with your sister. And you look at the two plates, and who do you think will always have the bigger half of the burrito, quote-unquote, <laughs> half that got cut? You know what I mean? You know what I mean, though, right? Yes. It's that it's... And the thing is, you, and then... But the excuse is always like, well, look, you told me to, to split it with him and I split it with him. And you're like, I mean, that's, that's a pretty wild split you made there. But but the, the, the point, you know the point I'm making, which is it's a natural thing to go. And we've talked about this all through Genesis. We talked about this, I mean, so much where we go, it's so easy for us to go, because I'm doing something good, I'm good. I'm, I'm scot-free, right? Instead of going... I know, but it is it still the easy way out, right? Is it still is that just a way to us justify what it is that we know we probably should be doing instead? And so that's the only reason why why I brought it up is because but but again, I only bring it up too though because as kind of as much as I was having to kind of chuckle a little bit, you know, going like, "Oh, okay, you know, I'm I I I get it. I I'm hearing the message." Luckily, later on in Malachi, it pays off. So let's let's keep moving. Yeah. It, well, cutting the burrito, maybe, may, maybe verse eight. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? And they're talking about taking advantage of those weak people. And that's something that we've heard harped on over and over again in the Old Testament. The motherless, the the fatherless, the widows, the ones that strangers that can't take care of themselves. Are you taking advantage of them like the maybe the bigger brother or the sister that's taking advantage of their little sibling? It's just human nature. It happens all over the place. And uh and and last thought and, and let's move on. Um it says several times in the scriptures, Blessed are those that seek me early. And, and I think there's some value in mentioning this here when they're talking about giving the first fruits, you know, going back to Cain and Abel. When we look at our day, and, and, and it's, it's not my place to say we need to dedicate the morning to God, but I will say there are some parallels there. And if we wait till the end of the day, sometimes it's hard to find a few minutes to really dedicate to him the same way we would if it's the first thing we do. If we find some time in the morning to, to turn to him, Often it sets the tone for how the rest of the day is going to go and helps us to to feel encouraged, enlightened, and have that spirit guide us without that throughout the rest of the day. So I I'll just say that seeking the Lord early, it can be comparable to offering the first fruits of your land and having faith that the rest of the day will go the way it needs to. Cool. Let's keep going. All right, chapter two, boy Nate. Um, this is this is an interesting one to me, because you almost get a little bathroom humor coming in, and and you don't expect that from the Lord or from His prophet, but yet here it is. Do I need to do like a disclaimer or anything right now? Maybe. <laughs> I'm 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 gonna read this. We're gonna see where okay, it goes. Okay, hold on. And Let I'll... me put a marker right here just in case <laughs> I have to just go back and delete all this. Okay. All right. Marker placed. Okay, verse verse 2. If you will not hear, and if you will not lay it to heart, and, and 
I should have started with verse 1 because he's talking to the priest. If you will not hear, and if you will not lay this to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because you do not lay it to heart. And and later on in Malachi, he says, I will curse you with the curse. And And I think, you know, well, what else are you going to curse you with? It, it, it kind of makes sense. But here he says, I will curse your blessings. And and as I was trying to think, you know, kind of a similar exercise with what we did in the last example in chapter one, like how does this apply or what can we do? Or how do we find an example where the Lord takes a blessing and curse it? And I don't have to go far to find my own example because the very next verse, the Lord lays one out for us. And, and this is verse three. Behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung on your faces. Even yeah, the... I forgot about that. I was reading that this morning going, ah, that's wild. It's, it's super wild. But, but look at the dung. It says, even the dung of your solemn feasts. So when he says, I will curse your blessings, then he gives us an example. A feast is a blessing. Think we, we, we just had Thanksgiving. We're headed into Christmas. Feasting is something we do really well as a society. Yeah, we do. And it's a blessing. It's enjoyment. But can you think of a more poignant example of cursing a blessing than to take the byproduct of your feast and smear it all over your faces? That's crass. And it, yeah, it was wild. It's a little surprising to me that the Lord goes there. Like, I will take your celebration, your feast, yeah. and I will take the byproducts of it, and I will rub it in your face because the byproduct is not near as desirable as what the holiday of the feast was. And yes, that's that's cursing your blessings. I get it. That's a very, that's a very interesting example, but it, but it kind of sells the point. And and so I wanted to take that strange example. And see if we can't maybe break this down in a way that that would make a little bit more sense today and maybe not be quite so bathroom related. Okay. Good good news, I didn't edit you out. (laughs) Fantastic. We walked a fine line there, but we made it. We crossed that line. Malachi pushed the envelope a little bit, and and I can't even say it was necessarily him. It's the words of the Lord, right? The Lord. All right, so let's apply this. What are you thinking? So I'm thinking... For for me, going to church is actually it becomes like a feast. It's it's something that I enjoy. It's something that my wife enjoys. When we go to the church, it's it's actually not too hard for us to convince our kids that this is something that we like. Even though sometimes I can get distracted, or sometimes it can be hard to sit through. It's actually something we really enjoy. And, and, and I see that feast and I see the enjoyment and when we're coming with the right spirit and we're coming with the right attitude, it feels good and we're glad we went and we feel all the better for having gone. It's like a feast. But if we forget and, and we shift our priorities and we're, and, and we're putting ourselves first instead of the Lord, it might come that that feast, that celebration stinks. We look at it and and it loses its appeal and, and it becomes crappy and and I and I can say crappy because that's literally what the Lord just said and 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 I think sometimes we get we get 
fed up with it or bored with it. We want to walk away from it and it becomes undesirable. And we want to distance ourselves from from what just a minute ago gave us such fulfillment and enrichment. And and we start pulling away from, from the church and finding it foul rather than enriching. And, and not just sacrament or not just church, but we start distancing ourselves from a lot of the things that we used to feast on. We start distancing ourselves from, from some of the enriching subject of the gospel, learning and, and feasting on the words of Christ and the scriptures and the joy that it used to bring us. Now it just irritates us. It makes us mad. We get upset with it and, and we find ourselves, because we wanted to take care of our needs first, all of a sudden, these things aren't as enjoyable. They're more annoying and difficult to put up with to where we just we want to be done with it all. Cool. I, I don't know. I, I tried to clean that up, but it, it is interesting how he puts that. Let me throw this out there. Let's hear it. Again, not, not disagreeing, but just as another thought. Okay. What are your blessings? What I mean, if I were to ask you, what if you were to give me your your Mount Rushmore of blessings, what would they be? My my blessings. Yeah, in, in this life, what what would you consider if somebody would be like, man, what are Con- what are the things that you consider the things that you've been that are your greatest peace. blessings? Okay, great. Uh, that's on my route, Mount Rushmore too. Yeah. Okay. What else? Give me give me two more. Give me three more. What's your Mount Rushmore? Um. You know, me, and my to have, family to, to have my needs taken care of, okay. to not, not feel desperate. Okay. To, Fantastic, but but even that's then, part of contentment for me still though. It it is because even then you don't want to have it all gone because you do, then you lose your drive, right? You need something to push okay. you. So I'm gonna say peace amongst the storm, right? Calm, yeah. the gift of the Holy Ghost, right? That's a blessing. My family, is, the family is, is massive. For me, the talents that I've been given from God that enrich my life and make me happy, and that I try to use to enrich other people's lives. And uh, let's just say this. Uh, how about a working body that, that's not being ailed by anything, right? Yeah. I don't know, man. I read that scripture again, and it's when he says he's going to curse your blessings. I'm like, that's terrifying. Now that scripture's terrifying. I, I like where you're going. If he says, that. I'm going to curse your blessings, I go, oh, man, I like my blessings. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'll, I'll replace know. peace with terror. Oh, this is exactly what I was thinking Health of. Health with sickness. That's exactly right. Family with enemies. Oh, man. Do you see what I mean? That's that's That scripture became a dire warning really quick, man. Oh, that's profound. I'm just saying, like, when, when it, I'm, I'm, and maybe I'm reading that way too literally. No. When he says, I'm going to curse your blessings, I go, dang it, man, I, I, I I love my blessings and I'm so thankful for my blessings that I that the thought of those f- flipping is terrifying and again I don't know man it's it's here's what's so funny about Malachi in general I swear I've read this more than any other book in the Old Testament and yeah. it's four chapters but for some reason today when I was just kind of like prepping again I was getting hit with a lot of different stuff today man I don't know this, it, I'm telling you, I, I had a lot of feelings today as we were cruising through this, and I and I, it's funny because I thought I thought for sure it's like, oh yeah, all of my thoughts basically come in chapters three and four, but one and two, for some reason, jumped out today, unlike before. But anyways, maybe that's maybe that's at least something to think about when he says he's going to curse your blessings. Is maybe that's actually the scariest threat that we're being given in this in this section. Well, and 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 
how better to illustrate the extremes than the joy you feel at a feast as opposed to how terrible would it be to have feces rubbed in your yeah. face? I mean, that's that's the exact opposite because <laughs> heaven knows I do love a feast and heaven knows I'm changing a new baby's diaper every day now. So <laughs> I can tell you what both of those things feel like. I love you, Nate. Let's keep going, baby. Okay. Um, you know, two talks a little, little bit more, but I, I think I'm actually want to get into three and Let's four. Let's get into it. We're we're halfway through, man. I don't wanna I don't wanna keep waiting for the meat and potatoes. Let's let's get into it then. So chapter three, verse one, behold I will send my messenger. And and again it, it's interesting because how do you translate that? Um Behold, I will send Malachi, and he shall prepare the way before me and the Lord. Or, or my, because it's the same. Is the it's just interesting? Is it's the same word? Um, but we know here, and it's going to it's going to actually talk about this at the end of chapter four. If we go over there, chapter four, verse six. Uh, excuse me, five. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming day of the great uh, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. And I, and obviously, I really want to talk about this. But before we even talk about that, why Elijah? I, I don't know the answer, by the way. I'm not I'm not throwing this out there as like a give me the answer I want to hear. I'm genuinely curious. That's a great question. I I don't know that I have a great answer to it. We should think. We should we should figure that out this week. I I think. He plays so there's there's a couple people that play a profound role in the Old Testament, Moses being one yes. and Elijah being one. And and I can't I can't tell you why. Um, but I can tell you that in both cases at the end of their lives they were taken up to heaven in the hand of the Lord mm. without tasting death. So that they could come when Christ was here in their physical bodies and restore keys to the earth that they that they held. So I don't know if it's it's their position in time the the keys to gathering Israel the first time out of out of Egypt and uh, for Moses and Elijah the sealing power of turning the hearts to the fathers of the the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children um so they they do have that commonality in that they don't die that we that we see but but outside of that, I mean, it's an excellent question, and I don't know that I have enough context to give you a really good answer for why he is the one. Okay, maybe I I mean I know for me at least I'm I think I'm going to try to I'm going to try to figure that out this week if if there is a way to figure it out, and maybe maybe next week when we jump on if if we have a. If we have more thoughts, we can just touch on it real quick. And by the way, too, this would be a fantastic opportunity if any of our listeners would love to chime in and please would love to we, hear we'd your love thoughts. to hear your thoughts on this too. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, and from this point, obviously Malachi had a huge influence on on Jewish culture, tradition, history, because knowing that Elijah would would come to prepare the way. And and one of the stories that we get with Elijah is the story that he goes to the widow. And and speaking to what Malachi is speaking of, he requires that she gives him the food first, the first of the fruit, if you will, and save the leftovers for her and her son, knowing that the leftovers aren't going to be enough. Rather than rather than take care of themselves first and not having any leftovers for God, it's the same principle here with Elijah, and he requires that. And because they show that faith, the meal never perishes. 
but the significant thing about Elijah and the widow is the fact that she is from Zarephath. She is not Israelite. He's going to an outsider. And, and from this point, when Malachi talks about him coming to prepare the way of the Lord and, and coming to return, it's interesting that he's associated with the feast and that the Jews, every Passover, set that empty seat and prepare it for him, knowing that he will return and share a meal with them and that they're going to give him the meal. And it, it, it's, it's fascinating to me it, it, from, from this scripture. And you've got this idea. You've got to realize that Passover is a tradition over a thousand years old at this point in time to change an entire tradition to, to carry on for the next 2,000 years of, of setting a place for Elijah, this is a significant prophecy. And, and the people believed it, and it had a very large impact on them. And, and it's profound. It, it, I mean, I was, I was going to talk about this towards the end, but, but should we mention here the, the, the Elijah coming to the Kirtland Temple? So Doctrine and Covenants 110, and... And we've talked about this. We talked about it last year in Doctrine and Covenants. We talked about it earlier this year when we talked about Elijah. We talked about it when we talked about Passover, but some things are just worth repeating. And so Doctrine and Covenants section 110, and and here you see um, Moses and Elijah both showing up, not only here when we're talking about in the New Testament when he appears to Christ, but now we're talking about in more modern times after the, the dedication of the Kirtland Temple. So this is April 3rd, 1836. And the vision, this is verse 11 of chapter uh, section 110. After this, the vision closed and the heavens were opened again unto us and Moses appeared before us and com, uh, committed unto us the keys of the gathering of Israel from the four parts of the earth and the leading of the ten tribes from the land of the north. And then I'm going to skip to 13. And after the vision had been closed, another great and glorious vision burst upon us for Elijah the prophet, who had been taken to heaven without tasting death, stood before us and said, Behold, the time has fully come, which was spoken by the mouth of Malachi, testifying that he, Elijah, should be sent before the great and dreadful day of the Lord to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, lest the whole earth be smitten with the curse." Therefore, the keys of this dispensation are committed into your hands, and by, the, and by this you may know that the great and dreadful day of the Lord is near even at the doors. And it doesn't end with just Moses and Elijah visiting them here. Let's go back to Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple." even the messenger of the covenant. So the Lord who you seek will even come to his temple. Go back to Doctrine and Covenants section 110, verse 1. The veil of the Lord, excuse me, the veil was taken from our minds and the eyes of our understanding were opened. We saw the Lord standing upon the breastwork of the pulpit before us and under his feet was paved work of pure gold in in a color like amber. And so you don't just have Moses and Elijah coming, but you have the Lord coming to his temple in our times. And it's also fascinating that these things were happening on Passover in 1836. And and there was a lot of, in the New Testament, we're going to talk about this, when Christ says there was a lot of widows starving in Israel, but to none of them did appear, but to the widow who was the Gentile woman. And there was a lot of widows, or excuse me, a lot of um, people 
Well, let's say, let's say widows. There were a lot of widows in Israel that were starving. Widows in a sense that their husband is dead. They crucified their Lord. And starving in the sense that they don't have a prophet. They don't have the revelation, the word of God. They're relying on the scriptures, the teachings, the old stuff. But they're in a drought, a famine of the word of the Lord. They're in apostasy. But unto none of them did he appear but to an outsider to, to, in, in, in modern times. It's awesome. Let's keep going. All right. Um, I, I think uh, next is uh, going to be our refiner's fire, oh, Nate. Let me, uh, I'll read the verse here and, 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 and I'll, I'll just tee it up for you, Nate. <laughs> I'll take it away. Okay, verse two. But who may abide the day of the coming and who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purify and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. All right, you teeing me up, baby. Um, I wanted I want to talk through the fuller soap with you first. Okay. So a, a cleansing of the garment, right? Yes. Um. I think that one's pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. The, you know the the blood, the blood of, you know, the sins and the blood and the whole thing, right? That he that he is there to be the the fuller soap or the the cleanser of the garments, so that we can be, you know, we can stand spotless. Am, am I missing something there? No. Okay. That one I feel is pretty straightforward, right? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Do you have? I I, I don't want to move past that. If you have something awesome, because I don't have anything awesome with that. I mean, soap is oftentimes the ancient I, I, lie. The right? lie, exactly. It's the opposite of an acid, but it's the same in the sense that what it's doing is it's it's chemically breaking things down. It's it's purifying. It's cleansing. But often by destruction, you're you're using it to scour, to scrub, and and to burn away at imperfection. Which, by the way, if any of you have seen Fight Club, as you know, the water mixed with lye on your skin will de- destroy it. It's a bad day. It's a bad day. That's a bad day with lye. <laughs> but but the same thing that would destroy your skin can also be the thing that purges the imperfections in your garment, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, that that one that one I I don't have anything important to say about that other okay. than it's interesting. The so when I was on my mission was when I was given the and and I'm I'm sure a lot of us have probably seen it to this point the um the purification process of silver. I kind of talked a little bit about it when I was given a talk in in church a few weeks ago, um, and just kind of the idea that that the purification process is heating something up to where it, it either burns out the imperfections or the or or certain um, imperfections rise and you can kind of like sift it out of it right and in you know in this article or whatever that it talks about how you know it's done or it's been um, purified um, or, or it is where it's supposed to be it's pure when when the um, refiner can see it's face it and in it is a reflection right and so there's kind of the you know there's kind of the the places to go with that where it's just like oh okay the you know the lord refines us until he can see his his image in our countenance um i've thought since that talk though i've thought more about this a little bit you know there is the there is kind of the um 
the starting place with the refining process, right? I, I said it a minute ago, and even as I was kind of cruising through the first couple chapters, it felt like the heat was turned up a little bit. And I was like, oh, okay, good. This is actually kind of a, a solid lesson. Um, but I, I did... I did think again about how how painful sometimes of a process it is to be to be purified and how hard it is in the moment to see that as a blessing and not as a curse or as or as that you've done something wrong and it it I I and again I wanted to I want to throw this to you too kind of as I've been thinking through this um because this talks about, and this I want to relate it to the hearts of the children of the Father. If the Lord sees his reflection in us, does that mean that we would also see our reflection in him? If the, if they're the same. And what does that mean, right? And I've been thinking a lot about this. I might have to edit some of this out because I'm just going to get emotional. I'm just telling you. I've been thinking deeper about what it means to turn the hearts of the children to their fathers and back. And when you read the scripture, it completes an eternal circle, right? The hearts of the children turn to their fathers, and the hearts of their fathers turn to their children. And it, it kind of hit me. It's like, is that eternal life? Isn't that what living forever actually means, right? Is that is that a perfect, complete circle of do do we look to our past generations for lessons for inspiration and isn't what we're trying to do now to prepare the way for a generation that's going to come after us to hopefully build some sort of a legacy to look back on for us as well In, in our family, we take naming of our children very seriously, and I know we're not the only ones, right? Right. But we take it seriously, and we, as you know, had a daughter a couple weeks ago, I guess. It's been now. And as we were talking through some of the names that we've been thinking about, this, these, I knew we were going to be talking about this, by the way, too, and so it was kind of on my mind. Man, I had the most profound, deep connection to this, these scriptures when we were thinking about the family names that we wanted to use for our daughter. And it was a chance for Heather and I to talk a little bit about, about who we were naming our daughter after and to tell some of the stories about this. And I was hit with the most just deep, like, real feeling of... of pride but not like an unrighteous pride but like a what an amazing legacy that has been built before me and as we were sharing stories of these incredible strong women that came before us both my wife and I it was it was a what am I doing what am I doing to continue to build this legacy Am I doing anything to continue to build this legacy? And 
you know, as I looked at this new child, I couldn't help but think in the craziest of ways that it's like, I'm you, you're me. Like this is, I, I do see myself somehow in the countenance of this child because it kind of looks like my face. And then that's when the rest of this scripture made sense to me. When God sees us as flawed as we are, as imperfect, maybe, you know, however you want to describe, I just can't help but think of the love that he has for us and the patience that he has with us. And I immediately thought the same words. Does he look at us and say, I'm you and you're me. And then in that case, do we understand the legacy that he's built and that he's laid out for us? And then I ask myself the same questions. What am I doing to either add to that or distract from that? And that's a heavy responsibility. But then once again, I thought back of the names that we've been given and maybe most importantly, the name that we've taken upon ourselves. And that's Jesus. This is why names mean so much to us in our family is because as we read about in the Book of Mormon and other places, hopefully when somebody says the last name, Pfeiffer, that carries something, that means something. Hopefully when they say that person's a Christian, hopefully that means something. And this new child of ours that hopefully doesn't speak English because that would be freaky, but when she does get to a place in her life that she can begin to understand, hopefully she feels that sense of, why did my parents name me this? And we'll ask us, or we'll ask her grandparents, or we'll do whatever it takes to understand why and, and learn of that legacy and, and carry pride with that that she also wants to continue to pass down. But hopefully, most importantly, when she hopefully decides to take upon herself the name of Christ, she feels an even deeper responsibility and connection to that name and has those same feelings. Back to the purification process to come full circle. It's, it's a blessing when God gives us these things as much as I hate to have to admit it most of the time that God purifies those that he loves because not only does he want to see his countenance in us, but he wants us to see our countenance in him. First off, Nate, don't touch the edit button. You don't, you don't want to hear me boob through this whole thing. I promise. <laughs> no, fantastic. it's one of the things I got from. It's one of the things I got from my dad's side. We're this, all we're all we're all emotional dudes. This is this is great insight. 
And 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 maybe to take this back to to an earlier point that you had made. What what does the the Fuller's soap the Fuller's soap the Fuller's soap and refining fire have in common? Those processes. It's it's the fact that you're separating out, and in the case of the silver or the metal, you you heat it to a certain point, and and you know the silver has a different melting point, right? It, and you're doing that so that you can separate it out. And the fuller soap, the same thing, whatever you have. And, and it's interesting because the priest, you look at the temple ordinances and they're taking blood and they're sprinkling it on the people and you're getting blood on your clothes. And if you're talking about a fuller's soap to remove the blood that's staining it, it's a separation process. And and take that all the way back to the creation. And and as, as special as the creation is, it's separating the waters from the waters. And, and you come back to our life and how do we get his image in our countenance, how we already have it. Like you say, we we come from him, and it's so special that we turn to our fathers because this is a line that comes back to Adam, who was a son of God, right? You follow that genealogy back, and the fact that Adam was put here immortal on the earth as, as a product of God, it links us to him. And, and it's just that somewhere along the line, we've picked up some, some stains. We've picked up some imperfections. We've picked up some things, and it's not an easy process. But there's, there's, there's some parts of us that we need to figure out how to separate to bring out the best of us. And what's the, maybe, maybe the, the most hopeful part about that process that you're talking about, that refining process is, and it talks a little bit about this too in, in the thing I was referencing is that a master refiner knows how much heat is too much heat that would burn the metal and render it worthless and knows you can't overheat this too. And I think that that's a comforting thing <laughs> in the midst of the process, right? That like, yeah, the heat's going to get turned up, but the master refiner knows at what point would be too much and won't won't let us won't let us get there and is and knows and knows when to pull off the heat before it actually just destroys us before it actually just you know what i mean before it breaks us yeah that's, that's a great good point. that's a, that's a hopeful thing i think that's somewhat comforting I mean, it is comforting, but very comforting. Some, somewhat when you consider the heat still has to get put on, <laughs> which tell me a human that hasn't felt that. I don't think it exists. I, I don't think so either. And, you know, we, we each deal with, we each deal with that, that refining process differently. But again, like you said, and made a great point, it's a refiner of silver and gold. And by the way, those, those two things refine differently the process of those things are different so those are my thoughts that's what i got did i did i did i cut you off anything on you were gonna absolutely not i was i mean that's that was that was kind of the it's it's funny because again like i i feel like i i didn't understand some of these even as much as i thought i kind of did the nuances on the The, then i got luckily a little bit more personal nuance revelation given over the past little bit and it's it's 
for whatever it's worth, still made me love this as maybe my favorite book in the Old Testament. That's fantastic. Because I think I can connect to it, you know. Well, and it, it it's it's worth mentioning when Christ visits the 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 the, the Americas in the Book of Mormon, when he asks them, he, he he has them bring their records, and then he says, "Let me quote." Malachi, and and you have these records from Malachi put in there word for word for these people to have. And it's not just that it's in the New Testament, excuse me, the Old Testament and the Book of Mormon, but when Moroni appears to Joseph Smith and he repeats verbatim the words of Malachi multiple times. And and there's something there's something to be said about repetition. And there are some things that get repeated, and, and Malachi is one of those that just rises to the top. And, and maybe one last thought on the Fuller Soap uh, before we turn away from that. I, I can't help but think of atonement when we talk about Adam and Eve finding themselves naked in the garden and, and the word cover meaning atonement, uh, kafar, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And, and we try to cover ourselves when we, when we sin, Adam and Eve go and, and try to make leaves to hide their nakedness, right? And we try to atone for ourselves in an imperfect sort of way. And, and maybe this is looking at the atonement that we make imperfectly and using Fuller's soap to cover us with a more perfect covering, to, to, to cleanse our covering. Because it's not enough that we cover ourselves. If we're covering ourselves with something that's stained, it can be just as embarrassing as the nakedness was by itself. But to be able to perfect that atonement in our, in our lives. Fantastic. Um, maybe uh, as I'm thinking of Malachi, the only thing I'm thinking left is windows of heaven. Is there, is there anything else, Nate? No, let's, let's knock that out. I unfortunately took up too much of our time already no, you didn't. with the pauses. No, no with you the, didn't. With the, uh, with the getting a grip pauses. So don't, let's 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 nail this one real quick. Don't luckily, luckily, luckily for, for whatever it's worth, I think this is maybe the most or the second most kind of talked about part of Malachi. So we let's just talk about it real quick. Okay. And, and I do like the windows of heaven, though, because... That's we, where I want to go. Yes, then let's do it. Because we've all heard this. Will a man rob God? Then where have you robbed me? Where do we say we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. And, and bring them to the storehouse and see if these things don't happen. This is the same thing we read with, with um, Haggai last week. This is the same thing we read in, in Malachi chapter 1. Bring me your offerings, bring me your tithes, and and I think it's worth mentioning the blessing here when it says the windows of heaven. Um, I will uh, let's see, it, it, verse ten. Bring me the tithes that into the storehouses that may be meet in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing that there not sh- there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I want to make the point. When we talk about windows of heaven, it mentions these in one other place in the Old Testament, and that's Noah. When the windows of heaven are opened and and the the fountains break up from the deep, from the ground, and water seeping up and, and pouring down from heaven. And, and the idea in the ancient world, so much of your wealth is tied to agriculture. And so much of that is outside of your control. Totally it is. You can plant the seed, you can prepare the ground, but you can't control how much rain. You can't control the weather. You can't control how much crops you're going to get. And so it is an act of faith. It's a livelihood based solely on faith. 
Yes. It, it is. And a faith in the process, but it is. And and you have to, you just have to believe. And and the Lord was saying in Haggai, you know, you, you work, but you don't produce enough. And, and how can you control that? If there's a drought, you can plant, you can work as hard as you want, but you're never going to get enough food to, to provide for your family. It's outside of your control. And he says, so, so Hebrew, the word for heaven, Shah Ma'im, literally is two words. Shah, there is Ma'im, water. There is water. And you go back to creation and they create a firmament. And firmament's a weird word we don't use. Firm, meaning something that's solid. It's something that's holding back the waters that are above the earth from the waters that were below. They've separated it out. And, and they believed that this firmament had windows, if you will, so that the, the sky's blue, there's waters pushed up there, and if you were to open the firmament, the windows in the heavens, then the waters would be able to fall. And so the Lord's blessing here is twofold. One is, I will send enough rain that you're going to have a, a plentiful crop. But that's only half the equation. Because it doesn't matter if you get enough rain and it's a really bountiful year, if your crops get destroyed. What, what good did it do? So that's where we see the second part in verse 11. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And the devourer, the locusts, the crickets, the, the whatever it is that's going to come in and eat that crop, I will rebuke them for your sake. And, and I just want to modernize this verse a little bit. We are not so tied to agriculture. It's still important. And, and I still think we, we, we might be on the verge of suffering from drought. We've seen the problems. There could be all sorts of food chain issues. Put all of that aside for a minute. And look at how we sustain ourselves, though, financially. And, and maybe we can control the job that we do, but we don't necessarily control our employers or, or the contracts or who's paying us and how well it's going to be coming in for us. Uh, Nate, I mean, you, you see this because you have, how many clients are you going to have this year and how much are they going to pay you sure, and how much work are they going to bring? Yep. You can, you can only do so much to prepare yourself to be able to take that on. Yep. And the Lord's saying, I will send it. I will send plenty that you will have enough, but that's only half the equation. What about if, if, if our house gets into disrepair, a tree falls down on it, we break the roof, we have to re-shingle it, we, the, the heating and air conditioning goes out, a, a car breaks down, our water heater breaks. These I look at as the devourer. Sickness or illness, I have to go to the hospital, and things that we have to pay and the expenses, it doesn't matter if we have a super good year bringing in money, if all of that money has to get spent everywhere else. Sure. And so I view this promise today that if we bring the tithes, and not just the tithes, I think we focus on this and say there's tithings, but offerings. And, and look at the offerings and take this back to Malachi chapter 1 full circle. Stop offering the crust. Stop offering the convenient. Bring an abundance to the Lord. Test him, the first of your fruit, the first of what you have. Give it to him and see if he won't provide you with plenty of opportunities to provide for your family and yourself afterwards and spare you from the destruction that's trying to take it all away. I just want to point out really quick that this that we see this same verbiage used in the very beginning of the Old Testament when God kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden and says that he's going to curse the ground for their sake. 
and here in the end of the book, there's this is even I believe both are merciful things, by the way, but he's also going to stay the devourer for their sake, and both of those things I believe are blessings and mercies of God, even though one sometimes might look like the hard thing, and one might look like the easy thing, you know, or the nice thing, right? Um, I did just want to point out that I, I love that the same, that the same um, verbiage is used for both. And I do appreciate the Lord being very open in this case going, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make sure that, like you said, that, that the other things don't destroy you as well. You, you don't need to worry about having to read too much into this. <laughs> you, you don't have to look, you don't have to try to see this curse, you know, as a blessing, which, you know, whatever. Well, and that's interesting that you say that, um, cursing the ground for your sake. And and Malachi starts off in chapter 2 by talking about how I will curse your blessing. That's right. But you look at this, and this is, and I will bless your curse. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I love it. I love the Old Testament, always giving us great stuff to think about. Well, the Old Testament has been a party, Jason. I've loved it. I have loved every minute of it. I have learned so much this year. Man, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the work that you've put into this, not just this year, obviously, but for the years leading up to the, you, that you've spent um, in school and in, in thought and the, you know, the insight, really, and the the new perspective and the really, really brilliant perspective that you've added to this. So I'm kind of sad to bid farewell to the Old Testament, but... Um, what are we talking about next week? Next week we have our, our Christmas special. Okay. It's a Christmas message, and um, it's a good question. I mean, we, we, we can maybe take some moments to, to look at what we've reflected on, you know, what we've learned, what, what's impressed us, what, what's really come off well, maybe what hasn't come off well, or maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the symbolism of Christmas. You it's know that I want to week. talk about the symbolism. We'll, we'll prepare that for next week. It's, um, a, it's a free week. The free week. Well... Um, thank you for listening. We really do appreciate it. If you have any questions or comments, um, please email at us, email at us at hi at weeklydeepdive.com. We continue to get more reviews on our various, um, um, podcasting sites that you listen to the podcast on. We thank you so much for that. It really does help us even just as something as simple as going on, leaving us a five-star review with just a little note. We do appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Until next week. See ya.